It's been a bit. How have you been? Good. Good. Been uh, getting my butt kicked the past couple of days, but in, well, in a fantastic way. Probably not enough, most would say. But My wife why, would definitely agree with that. Well, why don't you start at the beginning and introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. Uh, my name is Jesse Sargent. Uh, I'm the... Uh, president of delivery at Overwatch Mission Critical, and uh, I oversee all of our field ops uh, in the U.S. and abroad. That's right. So uh, how long have I known you? 10, 11 years. Yeah. So you, uh, I got you as a misfit toy out of the, you were a mechanical contractor out of the army. Yeah. You had a couple of things. So why, actually, why don't you give them the nickel tour because you've done a podcast with me before, but sure. we're going to use that as the genesis to open up what you're actually doing here and what you meant by your opening statement. Yeah, so. I'll do the quick uh, the quick one. So uh, former Army Infantry, you know, did that for a couple of years. Uh, when I got out, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I worked a couple of different odd and end jobs with HUD and things like that. And then my wife, actually, her uncle worked at a uh, vocational school that taught, uh, it was called Applied Mechanical Engineering, fancy way of saying, you know, work on HVAC equipment. And uh, so I went and did that. I liked it. Uh, I think I can remember Ohio had a polar vortex where it was like negative 38. And you're up on the roof. Oh man. And I was like, I'm down, I'm out on this. Like I didn't know way I'm, there ain't no way I'm doing this the rest of my life. Right. Uh, and, you know, my uncle was working for you at the time and he linked us up. And so then I, you know, obviously worked for you at Nova. Uh, when we all kind of went our separate ways from Nova, I went to uh, CPS, worked there for a couple of years. And then while I was at CPS, we connected again when you were at Aligned and uh, went to Aligned with you, ran design and construction for you. And then we, you know four years ago today, actually, uh, decided we could do this for ourselves. And so left, grabbed AG and started Overwatch. We, I think we, the first time we actually talked about it was at DCAC. Well, not the first time we talked about it, but like when we gra- when we pulled AG. When we AD made a decision and, with him, yeah. Yeah, and like we were like, all right, th- we're definitely going to do this. It was like DCAC 2019. It was that September. We already, I knew that I was leaving. I just knew that I had to go do something different. And um you were the genesis and the trigger behind that, right? And I probably won't go so much into that story today, but you had hit me with something between the eyes. Um, halfway through our tenure, it aligned. Uh, we were at this dinner, Silver Fox. Do you remember yeah, that? Oh, yeah, yeah. And you dropped some stuff on me, which uh, made me feel like a huge piece of shit, which would have been appropriate, right? And I remember that that was a point where I was like, I'm going to start taking a lot more things more serious, right? Because you were living in a completely different world. You know, you were working with me, but we were in, uh, we were in orbit with each other, but we were not in sync with each other, Sure, you know? And, um, it was too busy to, to do that. And, and, and to that end, you know, we got to work for an amazing organization that was emerging, you know, hundred percent. I just ran into Shap last week, uh, had a profound impact on both of us. Would you agree? hundred percent. Taught us tons. Um, we moved at a whole nother airspeed there, right? The altitude was high, low drag. We were just building everything we could as fast as we could. How has that not been the theme since you've been in this industry? I mean, it it, it has been. I think the only thing that's changed is, you know, we were we were building at speed thinking like, you know, 
10, 20 megawatts Man, was crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, and it was, uh, but then that, that was just the deal sizes, you know what I mean? And that, that's what, uh, but I mean, in my opinion, we were crushing it, you know what I mean? At we that were. time in those, in those sizes. And now, you know, it's, it's the same, but different, you know what I mean? It's, uh, yeah. It, I mean, now you're talking about, you know, going out and doing 50, 60, hundred megawatt deployments and, and that's the norm now. And, and, you know, if you look at, you know, what the, the trend is, it's only going to get, it's only going to be larger, right? Have you ever, uh, Hatem was like, we're trying to really earmark our ability to deliver at a macro level up to 300 megawatts without a disruption of any kind, sure. right? And doing that at multiple sites. And I'm like, okay, well, I mean, there's only a few companies that even have the ability to think at that capacity, right? But I want for the people that are listening to understand that this is a data center podcast, the data center revolution. And it's uh, self-serving sometimes when I have people from my team on it, but this is more of a personal story that sure. I want to share with the listeners about this incredible journey that you started. And I want people to understand that before we get into that journey, which is, going to be a great time because I'll just be able to stop talking and only listen and draw you out because I think that there's people that know you and people have got to see you grow throughout your career. Sure. And I think that there's a lot of people that uh, you have an infectious, positive personality. People love being around you and and you're a leader, right? And not everybody is. I mean, a lot of people are in leadership positions, but maybe they don't lead, sure. right? Regardless of your title, you've always been able to lead. And, and I think that you have something through that um, everybody has gifts, right? It's how they use those gifts. And, and somewhere along the line, you know, as I talk about the speed of our market growth, and this is going to parlay back into what you're doing and sure. why we're changing as a business because of these things and how that's impacting you personally. Yeah. All right. So, you know, the market, um, when industries emerge and you have traditional startups arise, you know, a lot of things get put to the back burner for survivability mode and triage and, and training is definitely one of them. The development of the talent that you have. I mean, obviously these people are talented or you wouldn't have hired them. The training and the advancement and the continuous effort made into developing them as they evolve professionally is limited to us professional leaders by how personal the limitations are for that person at home, right? So we have things that we were sons and daughters before we were anything, right? And then that allowed us to be boyfriends and girlfriends and husbands and wives and moms and dads and brothers and sisters and all those things. But we had to be individual. We had to know us. We had to put ourselves first in the development. And when we get older, we stop investing in our own development. you agree? I, yeah. I mean, I think that's just a, a <clears throat> you know, society tells us that we should be X, Y, or Z. Society tells us that you should put your family first, your kids first, you know, your work first. And, and I'm not saying that to some degree that's, that's not accurate. Like, you know, those things have to happen, but, uh, you know, I think the genesis of this and, and what, you know, you push me, other people push me and what I had to come to realize on my own is that, it's like the airplane thing, right? You got to put your own mask on before you can help anybody else put theirs on. And and if you truly want to lead your family, lead your teams, you, you got to be able to lead yourself first. That's right. And you're learning. I mean, it sounds like Dakota's already leaving his fingerprints on you, right? Because sure. um, 
I'm going to get to that point, right? Because that's the exciting stuff that you get. There's nothing more dangerous than a person that's rebuilt themselves. Not that you have failed, but we all arrive at these plateaus. It's a life is just a game and we're all in a different level of the game. And sometimes we get stuck on a level, right? Would Mm -hmm. you agree? Oh yeah. And sometimes, you know, we have to play, we have to walk away from the game and come back to it and kind of understand how to beat that level. And we need people to help us sometimes i've had uh, over the last year i've had massive influences from people that have um contributed in major ways to the development of me but it was only a year ago that i understood that the problem wasn't all these other people the problem was me and my i i mean how can i expect you guys to develop if i don't develop more as a leader myself right so sure. i set out on this journey and in this journey i learned a lot of things right but one of the things i was able to correlate it back to was the speed of this industry's growth. Our industry, the mission critical or digital infrastructure industry is growing uh, at a rate faster than any other vertical of industry. And no other industry reinvents itself as aggressively as us simply because every other industry is dependent upon our ability to scale and grow for them to be able to grow too. Think about it, the technology they put in these data centers that are driven by the usage of us at the consumer is limited by us, the consumer, who's the labor force that could deliver the product, right? Yeah. So um, what happens is, is I, you know, we have this incredible industry that's it's armed to the teeth. This industry never lacks genius or intelligence. It lacks strong leaders and courage to develop and train. And it lacks... Um, the ability to uh, fix people because our industry is moving into double digit caker has been for the last eight years. You know, power that we're measuring in markets or markets are doubling in size, um, capacities doubling in size. So there's no, since I've been in this industry and you've been in this industry, there's really no, never been the downside of a cyclical swing. No. It's, it's just running and gunning. And I have definitely felt that. Have you felt that over the last eight years since we've been in the foxhole together at least? Eight, nine oh. years of just grinding. Yeah, I mean, it. there, you know, people people say it all the time, you know, like data centers are, let's call it recession proof, right? Like, and, and I think that the the important thing with that to to think about is like, take take how we just had, you know, the pandemic and everything like that, right? Like, I didn't see any data center people getting laid off. I didn't see, you know, I know it, it hit the tech Massively industry. essential. Yeah, like it it hit the tech industry in certain ways, but not- Capacity double for us. Exactly. I mean, I think I saw a thing that said, you know, Microsoft's usage, the first week of the lockdown spiked 750%. You That's know, correct. that data's got to have a place to be stored, to be accessed. I mean, it. so the things that affect- the economy and the world for every other industry uh so far they've shown to expedite ours that 100 percent. we we had a greater uplift in an already windfall um trajectory right Correct. so and if you look at it um we were we were building at a greater volume and velocity at the end of COVID than we were before that. And we even had other, you know, global, I mean, a U.S. election cycle has a global impact. Uh, COVID-19, the release of the vaccinations and the restrictions that came with that and all the friction that came with that from society. You know, you had uh, Russia invading Ukraine, escalated tensions between uh, Russia and Ch- uh, America and China. And, you know, obviously now the Palestinians and the, and the Israelis are having their issues, but there's always something, right? So yeah. what we're learning is, 
there's no new norm. There's no norm to go back to. The new norm is we're going to be, think about the volume that we built that. And now it's just, a, we live in a cloud-based, we live in an application-based world. Most of us function through applications. Those applications go into a cloud environment and those cloud environments go into, you know, these massive cathedrals that we build that are the sky for the cloud. Cyrus one trademark term, right? <laughs> so I don't want to get in trouble. So my thing is, is you have this amazing thing uh, that's happening and we get to have the benefit of that. But what we were suffering from that most other people couldn't understand if you're not in this, if you're not in the data center industry and you haven't been for a bit, everybody's exhausted. Everybody is running at record pace and record speed. Like whatever we're doing, like you go to the Cyrus One Summit, I remember, and they're like, yeah, uh, basically take whatever we did with cloud, which had a 10X explosion rate over IoT. So that first huge wave we saw was the adoption of all the cloud providers and all the content that was being aggregated and consumed and, and the way that we had to solve for that. And then the next step was, you know, the introduction of AI. And and what's what are they saying about AI versus what cloud is? I mean, it'll be it'll be way more than 10X. cloud. To, yeah, I mean, whatever cloud was, ten x the IoT. Now AI will be ten x plus. I, I, yeah, I was gonna say I think it'll probably even be more than ten x. No one has any idea. Not even the AI itself can tell you, right? So, I think that we are walking into we're, this. This industry is the wild, wild west already. Do you agree? Oh yeah. And every day we're charting new territory as a vertical. There's no other industry that reinvents itself as much as us. So let me tie it back together. Okay. So we have been just grinding, like deployed. It seems like nonstop. Like I remember when we were aligned and we were, had a banner year and all the stuff we were building. And I remember that like, cool. Can you guys build twice as much next year type of thing? Cause yeah. that's the aggressive nature of this industry. And I think everybody can understand that everybody in the supply chain knows like, man, this has never been a busier time. Right. But when you're busy like this, companies design their strategy to fall into one of two models. One, it'll be to develop and train talent, an intentional, deliberate, sometimes in place of training and development of their talent, in lieu of that, they'll sacrifice that for more diversity and inclusion. So they'll be like, listen, uh, we have people, they're not, they're not going to make it. We know that the life cycle of these people can sometimes at some companies be measured in quarters and then in some places up to in the max of three years, yeah. right? So three years is the business model that they have going, hey, if I don't train and develop my talent, I know that they'll burn out and be gone in three years. Yep. Maybe that's okay. Now I get a, another healthier person who's ready to move up. They get to move up into that position. They get paid more than what they were getting paid and we could burn them out. We know we're going to suffer six months while they acclimate and ramp up. It takes three months just to figure out where the bathroom's at, another right. three months to get along, right? So, you know, six months into it. So now I'm going to get two and a half years of, of grueling output and productivity out of this person. And if I don't train and develop them, I know that they're gone in the end of that third year. Yeah. And we just see that model, right? So companies are just passing people back and forth between companies. And and what is happening to us, the employees, the, the workers are, we're like, man, I no longer will suffer this massive inconvenience of working here where I'm unfulfilled for the amount of money that they're paying me. But this other company is going to pay me 20% more. And I'm willing to go do the same thing, work just as hard and suffer for 20% more because then the juice is worth the squeeze. Sure. But at that same point, they're just learning how to suffer with a better with a better wallet, right? But they're still suffering. My, my dad used to have a saying that uh, everyone in life eats a shit sandwich. How much bread you got depends on how much shit you got to taste. Yeah, you know <laughs> that is fact. Your dad's a genius. So my thing is, is, we have workers 
that are burned out and we are coming up on year four and we were seeing, first of all, we whipsaw harder as a startup. Oh, but when you come yeah. into year four, you're like, hey, we're gonna emerge with this. We're gonna begin to standardize, right? Yeah. We're not, the soup will eventually be code locked down. We'll uh, stop throwing everything at the wall to see what works. And we're gonna start really figuring out what's worked well. And we're gonna just drill in and do more of those things, right? right. So your vision is really focused on the customer and the products you provide them, right? right. And, and then the value you bring them and and the unique requirements that they may have, you know, the needs of the market and the value that you bring is the other part. Yeah. The customer and the product, the needs and the value. And and when we can marry those things, what you realize is what these companies need is they all have a need for labor, but what they really need is a healthier labor force, yeah. a healthier workforce. And and it's not good for us to just keep churning and burning people out because businesses are also learning now. Uh, yeah, every time that I have to start over with another person, um, that erodes my margins, it impacts maybe not my top line, but my bottom line. And I need to figure out how to protect that, right? So it's financially accretive. It's prudent as a business to figure out how to maximize your output and your productivity on your cogs for us, which the primary line of business we use to generate revenue is a labor force, is a human being, someone with a name on it. Sure. And we learn like we can't leave people on these programs as an islands. And we learn that through attrition. Oh, yeah. I mean. Right. Yeah. But you learn as you grow. And what we learned was, hey, society has developed this construct to where we as employees are used to going in and, and just getting. So many of us will work uninspired in, in an environment in which we don't feel safe from in the politics, maybe. And we go home every day unfulfilled. And those people are miserable. And their productivity and their output is is. Their productivity and their output is proportionate to their value, meaning yeah. like they're not really doing much, right? They're struggling. Yeah. But what we learned, what I learned on my journey was it turns out the happier I am, you know, I went through a painful separation. Uh, I had many broken elements of me. We're broken men leading broken men, as Dakota said at, at the conference, right? But yeah. I realized like, man, the growth of my business is limited on my growth as a person because I can't grow professionally unless I could grow personally. Yeah. So I had to, you know, you guys were helping me navigate through, but I picked up a lot of really great people along the way that were just the hammer or the anvil in my life for pockets of time that I needed. And I needed people to help me rewrite the constitution of me as a man. It's it's hard for me to go back to putting myself first and to thinking myself first as parents. Yeah. I mean, you're never gonna hear a mother be like, the first thing is like, my kids come first. I'm like, well, maybe you you should come first so you can give your kids 100%. Yeah. You can't give yourself 100%, you can't give them 100%, right? right? And that whole model is shifting and society has influenced the ways that we we approach certain things. And what we're trying to do is take our hammer and use a platform like this to break that, right? Yeah. <clears throat> but you're the example. So now that I've kind of unpackaged a foundation here that's gonna explain like why the hell you and I are sitting here talking, yeah. it's because your story is inspiring and I think your story is gonna inspire a lot of people. You inspired me years ago in that conversation that we had inspired me to, to grow up and, and help start a business, which I asked you to be one of the three founders with. And now we hit a plateau, right, as a business where all of us were learning like our limits as a professional are directly correlated to our limits as a person. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it, you know, it's, it's one thing when you're in year one, right. And you're, you know, you got 10 people, let's say that you got to worry about and, and 10 people that you're trying to mentor and groom and, and, you know, help them understand this industry and grow. Uh, 
you know, it's a whole nother when you're approaching mid seventies, eighties, right? It, sure. it, it, you got real people, real souls. Exactly. And, and, you know, I've learned that people are so different, right? It, it It's one of the things that's really cool about just being a human, right? That we're all so different in the things we need, the things we want, the things we desire, right? Uh, and, you know, there are some people that you, you can drop them out on a project and they're going to do fine, right? They like that. Yeah. Some like it. Yeah. I was one of those. Like I, I was a... Uh, I wanted to be dropped into the hairiest on fire program possible sure. uh, because that's just what I enjoyed. Harder uh, the better. Yeah. There's some people that need, you know, the oversight. They need somebody there that they can fall back to. They, I, I don't know if I want to call it a comfort level, right? But they, they just need oversight. They need somebody there that's going to help them grow as a professional, right? Uh, I was super lucky. I had all kinds of people like that throughout my career that helped me and, and helped me grow. I think that, you know, to, to, to tie it into what, what we're here to talk about, like I spent 10 years trying to be what everyone else needed me to be, right? Yes. I, I spent 10 years trying to be a good dad. I spent 10 years trying to be a good husband. And I spent 10 years trying to build my name and my career in this industry. So you could afford to pay for them and provide 100%. for them. 100%. And, and, you know, not only with my family life, but with work, uh, I, I had, I'd reached a point to where... I need to help myself more before I could continue to help others. Right. And, and a lot of people, you know, listen to things like that and they're like, man, that's super selfish or that that's this or that. Right. If you feel that way, I would challenge, I would challenge anybody listening to, you know, try and put yourself first every once in a while and, and just start that process because it, I mean, I haven't even been in this very long, right? Uh, but the conversations I'm having with my wife, the conversations I'm having with you, they're different already after just a little bit, right? Yeah. And it it makes a big difference. You got to work on you. Well, let's talk about you, all right? So now that people understand why we're coming at it from this angle, it's it's good to help the human. I mean, yeah. that's part of our purpose. We're here to help other people. Like yeah. we're put here, you were designed. What's your purpose in life? Do you think? Uh, I'm a protector, I think. And I what's think the most toxic thing a protector can do? Probably not be dangerous anymore, right? <laughs> I mean, I, well, I want you to explain that philosophy, but yeah, I mean, yeah. I think a lot of people that are born inherently to be sheepdogs, you're a protector. There's wolves, there's sheep and there's sheepdogs. Sure. And, and you're a sheepdog, you're a protector. But sometimes protectors, if they have toxic empathy, could easily become people pleasers, and that's how they lose themselves. Yeah, when definitely. they and would I mean that's, that's what I've been. I mean, I've I've tried to uh, and listen for what it's worth, worked great for me for several years. You know what I mean? And I think that's the that's the lure to it, right? Like that's it, what it's functional. Yeah, that's what gets people to fall into that trap. Is like 
well, well shit, it's kind of working out a little bit, you know what I mean? And, and it does like you have good things that happen throughout your life in that time. But just like with anything, like with business, like eventually you reach a plateau, right? Or eventually you, we reach all a do. Point. It's the end of the game level and we have to level up and we, we have to get through that barrier. Yeah. Or eventually you reach a point kind of like I did where you realize like, dude, one of the greatest things about this industry and about being around everybody and, and just the things that we've done is I was never there. There was never a time in eight and a half, nine years that I woke up and was like, God damn it. I got to go to work. You know what I mean? Or I got to do this or I got to do that. Eventually I reached a point where I could feel myself falling into that, right? Like, like the, the trap of you are fulfilled. Exactly. Like I didn't, didn't feel good in my own skin. Didn't just wasn't comfortable, you know, then what you were like, you know what it was is you arrived at a level professionally that you wanted to be at, and then you were still unhappy and you thought that once you arrived there, you'd be happy. Sure. We all do that. If I do this, then I'll be happy. If I do that, then I'll be happy. When, if I have this much money, I'll be happy. And the reality is, is, you know, Sean Anker actually has a book called The Happiness Advantage, I think it's called. And he's done a pretty amazing TED talk for those that don't have the time to read, but you have to be happy before you can be productive. Like the, the happier our culture is, the stronger our culture is, the more productive and the higher output our culture has, which pencils well for a business, Yeah. right? So for you, um, you know, I started, I'm like the canary in the coal mine for our management team. Would you agree? Yeah. Like I, I tend to try to beta test myself on things. Do you see sure. the patterns? Yeah. And then if it works, you know, I'm like, guess what we're doing guys? Guess what book worked? You know, I read three, one of them I'll pass on, but, and I, I've stumbled into a couple people. There's, I mean, I have mentors, right? I've talked about my mentors on this podcast from, you know, the Crosby's and the Jim Smith's and, um, Pete, Peter Gross. Uh, but there's, there's mentors are going to do a lot for you, but there's certain things that they're not going to be able to do. Right. And they influence you in huge ways, but you need change agents in those lives too. I, I wouldn't, if you think that those people that haven't changed me or changed my philosophy on things, you're crazy. But those guys in the foxhole with me are the ones that get dirty sometimes. And, and I had, um, I'd ran into a mutual friend of ours and that guy would chew me up and spit me out. And then kind of, he has a unique skill to figure out what your excuse is. Yeah. He just needs to talk to you for about 60 seconds. Yeah. And in 60 seconds with just a few questions, that man has the gift of understanding what your bullshit is. Cause we're all selling bullshit, right? Like what is our excuse today? What's the false narrative that we're creating for ourselves today? We need to believe it ourselves. Yeah. And he's perfect to help you break that cycle. Yeah. Right. And, and talking with him, I was struggling as a leader on a few things. And one of the things I was struggling with is I hit a plateau with the ability to influence you guys. I could speak on a stage at DCAC in front of however many people, and you may be able to influence them or make them feel good for a little bit, but you won't change anybody there. Right. You have to change them by getting your hands dirty. Yeah. I don't know how to do that. I mean, I, I know how to do that, but um, as a player, not as much of a, as a, as a coach, I could coach to a certain level, but I'm not there to help with certain fundamentals. And uh, what I've learned is, is that there are people that just have that strength and that's their business. And that's what they do for a living is they work on the constitution of the human. Yeah. And in talking with him and explaining to him, I'm like, I just got to break through to some of my people. I got this one misfit toy that 
uh, Jesse, you're a monster of a man, right? I mean, you're a powerful person. You're a powerful leader. You are a subject matter expert on what you do and you're an authority, Pete. You're trusted. You're one of the best in this game at delivering product faster, more reliable, in a predictable way than almost everybody else. And you lead a team that does that. I don't just say that because you work for me, but you have limitations, right? And sure. one day I figured out, I'm not gonna be able to crack the code of you. Um, there's too many things. People don't realize how much combat you've been in or that you've had a traumatic brain injury or a TBI or guys like you and Anthony and other guys on our team that have been in much more violent scenarios and kinetic situations. It's, I mean, everybody has an element of PTSD from something in their childhood, maybe a car accident, who knows, but you guys have a different level of that stuff. So there's only so much pressure you could put on certain people sometimes that I didn't understand where the limit was. So enter Dakota Meyer and you here in Austin, right? And, yeah. and Dakota had helped me in many ways. He's one of the people that was the hammer and the anvil for me as well. And I knew, I think that, were you beginning to see changes in me? Yeah, for sure. I think that that was what allowed you to feel comfortable trying to take the same journey because yeah, you're and, on this journey now. Yeah, and I think that, you know, it's important to say like, you know, like you mentioned a second ago, like you, you've been a good player and 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 maybe there's certain areas, right, that you feel like you're not a good coach, right? Like, well, I, I, this is what I would say. Like, if think about it this way, if every good player was uh, was the best coach, right, there'd be a hundred Michael Jordans, sure. right? There'd be all these different people that would be just stellar at everything they do because they had these amazing people that have been there, done that and everything like that. And like, dude, nobody's pushed me harder than you have, right? Like nobody has challenged me more than you have in a, in a professional and a personal way. Right. And I think what it comes down to, like when you talk about PTSD and things like that, not knowing where the limit is, I think one thing a lot of people, you know, need to be careful of with people with PTSD or people with TBI or this or that, or, you know, even just take, you know, a bad childhood. Yeah. Or, or even just take somebody that's seen combat and has been in combat or X, Y, Z, right. Uh, we're not made to tap. We're not made to say, Hey, that's not the right way to approach me. We're not made to, that's not how we were forged, right? right? We were forged to go until we collapse or we were forged to go until we get, you know, unfortunately in the military, you know, it's side of things given up is, you know, the, that's why we have a high suicide rate and everything like that, because people don't want to tap and people won't raise their hand and say, I need help or I need this or that. Uh, so I just, I, I think like sometimes just as much as there's a stigma around people that have those things, right? There's, I think sometimes people think too much into how they're trying to help somebody or how, or like what they need to do for somebody when at the, at the end of the day, sometimes all it is, is like, and you, you're good at this, right? Like when we have one-on-ones or you do with other people, it's like, you know, fuck work. What's going on in your life? Sure. You know what I mean? Like, what do you, like, what are you kid, bad your wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We're always, look, there's resistance at home. There's always something that we're dealing with. There, we're, 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 we're there. We go through cycles, I believe, in the rule of threes. You know, one third of our life is amazing, and one third is good, and one third is shit. And 
it's hard to remember those, you know, on those on those bad days, right? But yeah. but the real, right? So I always tell you guys, I'm like, when you guys are having bad days, or if you guys aren't performing at the level that I need you at, it's really if it, it, like I said, there's two different types of businesses: those that are turn and burn, those that are going to learn. And they're going to see the piece of the cog and it's not working and they're going to put pressure on it to kick it to work better. And if it doesn't, they're just going to rip out and replace it. Because yeah. that's how you don't have time when you're moving that fast to make things better. You sure. can't get ahead when you're fucking struggling to get even on the pace that we're growing at. That's right. This entire industry is suffering from fatigue. And we have a labor force that uh, is dropping off the bottom end. And I view the labor force uh, and talent perspective and let me give you an example of the town right down the street is you know uh literally we passed west lake high school basically on the way here the home of multiple nfl champions sure drew Brees, among one of them who as we know went to san diego and i think that there's parts in his life that he was considering whether or not he should be trying to play pro football and then you know fast forward where he went to a different team and he not only won a super bowl but he was the mvp right sure and it's not that he changed as a constitution of a man. He was just in an environment where maybe people believed in him or helped him develop. Yeah. Right. And I think that we all have teams that we want to go play for because it's a great place to be from a shitty place to be. Yeah. Right. And, but I think that there are people that are willingly going to companies and I've done this too, where, you know, you're just going to go to see, you're going to commoditize yourself and see if you could go, how do I make more money? You know, because I think if I make more money, I'll be happy. The reality is, is, we should be trying to figure out how do we have the healthiest symbiotic relationship with our business and our work to where we're the most productive we can be it tends to happen to require us all to be healthy to do that. And as long as we're all sharing in that, like I'll put in the work to make you have healthy. Will you put in the same amount of work? Right. Right. And for us, you know, trying to say these things that we're working on as humans, they, for us to fix our businesses, we have to fix our people a little bit. And as I'm like, we're not, Businesses should not become an incubator for society's problems, right. right? But they should care about their teams, regardless of their size, enough to where they're offering the access to the resources for those that, like, look at look at how much you've learned in the last few days, and and I want to kind of get into that because yeah. this this is the part where you had to. I have been pushing on you for a bit, yeah, and. I don't know what it was. I doubt it was me. It was the circumstances of your own life, maybe at home, wife, kids, whatever. But every, you said something to me once about dangerous and men that are dangerous. Yeah, yeah. So what it is, is, you know, men especially, they die two times in their life, right? And what I mean by that is most men, die sometime in their mid thirties. We just don't bury them until their late sixties, seventies, eighty. You know what I mean? What do you mean by that? What I mean by that is that, you know, as men, especially in our past lives and things that we've done, like most men truly die when they stop being dangerous. And when I say that, I don't mean, you know, going out and fighting. I don't mean, you know, partying, drinking. Yeah. I don't mean any of that. What I mean is like, at the end of the day, if I'm not leading my family, who's going to, if I'm not the example for my family, who is, if I'm not trying to be the best version of me, then who are my sons going to emulate? You know, you know, your daughter, Mary. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of man? Exactly. And, and so 
what I mean by that is most of us fall into a routine. Most of us get busy at work. Like I, I mean, you know, I've got four kids. They range from 16 to five. My youngest might as well be Jack Jack from The Incredibles. Of right? course, he's like my he's favorite. He's a madman. And, and, you know, you fall into routines with sports and school. And, you know, the world has changed a lot even since I was a kid, right? The, the problems that they deal with are not the problems that I dealt with, right? And you fall into a routine at home, which then you fall into a routine at work. You, your life falls into a routine to where, especially as men, I think as men, it's looked at as though we're supposed to be what everyone else needs us to be, right? Men are supposed to be the provider for their family. Uh, at work. Protector. Yeah, protector. At work, you're supposed to be the the person that you need to be for whatever your title is, right? Whatever your position is. And then even throughout life, like uh, there are going to be situations in your life where somebody needs you to be something, right? Eventually you get enough of those added up throughout your life. You kind of stop being what you need to be or what you want to be. And I think when you do that, you're just slowly starting the process of, you know, before they put you in the ground. Right. And, and you're just surviving. Yeah. You're just going, you're just surviving. That's a great way to put it. You're just doing what you need you're tolerating to tolerate a mediocre year of your life. And then you're just repeating that 20, 30 times. And the older you get, and I'm, you know, by no way, shape or form, do I think I'm old, you know, but it's as I have gotten older, man, that, that one year can turn into 10 really fast. Yeah, I think a lot of people, especially guys like you that were born with massive amount of talent, were able to rely on that talent for a long time. 100%. And when you have talent, uh, talent is uh, like motivation. It's fleeting, right? So talent is something that is great until you, uh, but it, it, it lulls you into thinking you don't have to work hard. Um, so you tend to not work hard. And when the talent runs out, you don't have the ability to work hard because the motivation that you typically use to work out hard is external. And yeah. when that's no longer there, then you have to rely on the internal discipline, which hopefully comes from habits that are forged for you to be able to maintain that level of output. Do you agree? hundred percent. So at some point you and I, who I, I love you, you know, yeah. this, we've been boys forever and I'll do anything to help you be successful, but we have traded paint. Yeah. And that's what you're going to do in business, yeah. right? And uh, you could trade, pay, and still be friends. We've we've learned these things, but I don't know of another way of explaining to people how much I love them, and then to, to help invest into the development of them as yeah. a human being and professionally. Yeah, you're you finally, Dakota and I were talking about this uh, reset model for a lot of broken men. There's a lot of broken people out there, right? Um, you're not broken forever. You, sometimes you're broken and you got to go heal up on those things. And, and a lot of people don't, they just kind of throw sand on it and cover it up and then they go work on something else. Yeah. For us, we're trying to fix those problems. We're going to, we're not going to be a turn and burn shop as a company. We decided that we're not going to just let people last or endure or survive for three years and move on. We want to offer them an environment where they're inspired by who they're working with or what they're doing. They're safe in that environment from the politics and drama of bullshit of what happens in typical corporate America. Yeah. Um, and they're fulfilled when they go home and they could go love on their family and, and, and enjoy their time home versus going home 
and dropping dead out of exhaustion because they were just surviving something they they hated all day. Right. And for you, you hit your own rock bottom and you came to me and said, hey, man, I wouldn't mind something. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and, you know, it's tough. I'm sure it's tough for anybody, but it's definitely tough as a man, right, to to have other people check you sometimes, sure. right? It, it's tough to, especially when, I think it's important to, to talk about like societal norms, right? Like, because what I mean by that is like, it, if I was to look at any aspect of my life, right? I would be like, I mean, when you come from the, the background that I come from, which is, you know, I'm second generation out of a coal mine in Kentucky, you know what I mean? So like, when I look at those things and I look at what society tells me I've done okay. You know what I mean? Like I definitely haven't done bad, but, but so when you have other men trying to help you and, and get you to a next level, but yet you look around and you're towering over where you come from, you get what I'm saying? But obviously you've been trying to help me for a long time. And I think what really for me broke the camel's back was my son's obsessed with football, like obsessed wakes up every day. Like his room is completely autographed Bengals, Ohio state. You know what I mean? Like this, this boy wants to play football. That's his love. Hey, hey, by the way, shout out to the Valley View fourth grade Super Bowl champions. (laughs) But, uh, but, but you know what? I was going to some of his practices and I was trying to help him and I couldn't, I couldn't do the things I used to do. Physically, you you mean? Physically, physically. Like I hurt my hip one day. I remember one day you brushed out your teeth. (laughs) Oh God. Yeah. And you know, tripping over bags and this and that. And it's the, I, it was honestly like the first time that I that I realized like you ain't the man you used to be. Yeah. And I don't want my son to wake up one day and need a different role model. Well, that's gonna happen. You know, these kids like yourself will go through a there's three cycles we men go through with our fathers. One is first, obviously, we tend to idolize them. When we hit puberty, we tend to demonize them, and then when we hit a certain level of maturity, we tend to humanize them and we become, we understand why they're not such assholes anymore. Right. Oh, for sure. But we, if they weren't assholes, we tend to lose respect for them. They had to have put in the price. It's hard to be a parent and it's easy to be nice and to say, yes, it's hard to say no and hard, you know, for your kid to slam your door, but you need them to slam the door every now and then. But you need to, uh, you, you, you are very driven. You're very motivated off that, um, realization that, your son idolizes you and, and we all as fathers want that from our children. We also know that we need to be worthy of that. And I think that that's what stirred your fire. Would you agree? I I would. And it, it, it's, uh, you know, he wakes, he wakes up almost every day. What do I need to do to get in the NFL, to get to here or there? And, you know, you, you actually, you know, that was going on. And at the same time, you know, I had shared with you about what, you know, some of the things he says and stuff. And, and you said something to me one day and you said, well, 
let me ask you this. Does his dad look and have the output of somebody that their son would play in the NFL? And from a physical standpoint, the answer was definitely no. But you're a little bit of a freak of nature from what we learned. You had a lot of tests done the last few days. I did. And you're a little bit of a, a unusual character. We're going to go into those test results. Yeah, yeah that's fine. <laughs> we keep going. Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, long story short, uh, it was an emotional punch in the face, right? And And I think us guys, especially, you know, we don't always process those things so well. Right. And I, but I wasn't attacking. Not at all. Not at all. No, 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 no. I didn't, I didn't mean it like that. I mean, like, listen, there's no greater love you can have for somebody than to tell them the things they need to hear, not the things they want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for me, I had reached a point to where I couldn't help myself anymore. Right. And, you know, I had let it go to a point that, I didn't even know where to start. You know what I mean? Like I, I didn't know where to begin. I didn't know anything. And, uh, you know, you got me chatting with, with Dakota and, and we started talking about a couple things and, you know, it was decided I was going to come down here and, and do a reset.